Hey everybody, I hope that you guys are doing good. Welcome back to Engage on UMFM 101.5 with your hosts Kate Jones and Josue Devi. Today we have a really special guest, Cindy from the Regenesis Center for Recovery. Regenesis Center for Recovery is a non-for-profit organization. They specialize in addiction recoveries and treatments for individuals who are struggling or who just need those supports in their life. They work to provide a safe, inclusive, and sober home for clients that they work with. They provide counseling for addiction, mental health support, facilitate knowledge and skill building opportunities. And actually, they're currently fundraising an effort to open an addictions recovery center in Winnipeg. So we're really excited to have this conversation. I think that this is the perfect month to have it as it's Overdose Awareness Month. So we're really excited to be able to hear about the great work that they're doing for people. And Cindy, I'm sure that you could introduce yourself as well. Welcome on. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm Cindy Foster. I'm originally from Brandon, Manitoba. I took my degree in psychology and political studies at the U of M and then started working in the addictions field right after graduation. It kind of fell into my lap a little bit. It wasn't something that I had planned on getting in, but I really, really enjoyed working with the clientele and the work and really saw that there was a need for improvements within that system. So that's given me a lot of passion to create Create something new for people that are struggling within our city. Very exciting. So you've been with Regenesis since the beginning, right? Like you, you're one of the the core members. Yeah, it's my baby. <laughs> I'm the one that founded it. Wow, amazing. That is, that is so sweet, and I think that that's so needed here in our city. If you don't mind me asking, when did you guys start up? When when was the when was the vision put into place? Yeah, well, I came up with the idea in, it would have been June of 2019, and we ended up incorporating in February of 2020. So we really, we hit the ground running and we started fundraising and making ourselves known on social media right away. And uh, right now we're we're getting close to being able to actually apply for grants to get enough money to to hopefully open so having been with them since having founded it from the beginning rather um it's been a couple few years now what's had you so dedicated to this and keeps you continuing to do this work honestly the people that i've worked with and continue to hear you know, stories about their life and their progress or dips and turns in their journeys toward recovery and being introduced to new people all the time who are struggling with addiction themselves or who love someone that's struggling with addiction. It's just so, so incredibly prevalent in our city and in our province, really. It extends beyond the perimeter of Winnipeg. And it's also very hard to sit back and watch, and I'm going to diss the government a little bit, but they have not done a lot in terms of addictions care and stepping things up here in our city. So that's been a real motivating factor for myself, and I know a lot of our board members as well. And uh, we want to make sure to to try and overcome the barriers that have been put in place and take those down and uh, introduce some new services to get people some actual help that will last. That's incredible. Yeah, no, that's, 
That sounds so Winnipeg. Like now, now I can really tell that you've had your experience in this city and kind of just really realizing, you know, these supports are needed and how appreciative people are of them. You said you started in 2019, right? That's, that's not too long ago. So that was actually just shortly before this pandemic came around. And I'm just wondering what were, what things were like uh, in the beginning? Yeah, it was, a, it's a really, really bad time to open a nonprofit. <laughs> So basically, we were able to hold a couple of, uh, well, really just one big fundraiser we had in January, right before the pandemic hit. And we had a concert called Jams for Regenesis at uh, the coffee shop on Edmonton and Broadway. Fools and Horses, that's the one. So we had some local musicians in the uh, group come and play for us. And uh, that was the last kind of big fundraising event that we had gotten to be able to get in before the pandemic hit. Everything else that we had planned was, you know, too close contact to be able to continue with. So right now we're, we're looking at trying to start some things up now that restrictions are loosening a bit but I mean people weren't really looking toward you know giving a whole lot to charity or nonprofit organizations when COVID hit because everyone was having financial scares right well mostly everyone it's a tough time and people didn't know what their future was going to look like so you know fundraising stopped for us for a while but it has trickled in there's been some really great businesses that have stepped up and donated to us and we did a fundraiser around February 13th and that was really successful. So people are invested. It's a hard time and Winnipeggers are still showing their interest in helping us within the community. So that's really touching. Yeah, definitely. It's a strong connection gets formed in these types of relationships. I was curious in the past two or so years doing this, if you might speak to any particular impacts you've noticed as a result of the presence of Regenesis, um, if, if you've noticed within the community any direct impact, if there was? Um, you know, we haven't been open yet. Like, we're still in the fundraising, capital fundraising stage. So we haven't been able to have a ton of community involvement. Right now, we're doing a lot of the policies and procedures development and fundraising and things like that. So in terms of community engagement, most of it has just been online. So what we're trying to do with our social media accounts is to raise awareness of the problem of addiction here and in our community and also to provide education because it's not surprising that a lot of people in the public just don't really know how addiction works and what it is and how people can find themselves living with addiction. So that's a really big component of what we wanted to do was try and reduce the stigma as much as we can. And we feel that we can do that through public education. And the best way to do that these days is through social media. So that's where we're concentrating for most of our community engagement right now. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that, that is super cool. And I'm excited to get this message out to people because I'm sure that more, more people are willing and more people are going to be super interested in fundraising for that because I think our city needs it. We need more people that are engaging with that side of our community, that are engaging with the education, that are engaging with getting people supports and help they need. So what's it been like working like in this field? You said you've been doing, you know, addictions, um, recovery and stuff along those lines, like right out of college. Um, and so what's it been like, you know, working with your coworkers, working with your peers? Um, how has that community been? What's the workspace like compared to other places that you've been? Well, that's a great question. Working in addiction is very intense, I could say. There's always things going on. You are never bored. 
Um, it's a really good opportunity to meet people that you may normally never meet, you know, in your day-to-day -day life and hear stories of people and what they've been through and what their families have been through. And it's a really good way of just kind of getting to be more familiar with humanity and within our community. And it's, uh, it can be really challenging because there's a lot of really hard things that people have gone through, obviously, that lead them to working with us. And it can be challenging for not only them to talk about it and work on it and process these things, but it can also be very difficult on the people working in the field as well to be constantly exposed to, to these kinds of stories. And vicarious trauma is a really big thing that needs to be examined for people that are working on the front lines in addictions care to make sure that we're providing enough, good enough service for people to be able to heal and not to burn out like our workers. So it's intense, but it's super rewarding at the same time, watching people learn and heal and recover and become successful in whatever it is they, they want to do is, it's an incredible feeling. And that's a really, that's another really big motivating factor for myself. Yeah, that's it's incredible. I think people really underestimate the time and energy and care that it takes to, to work in a field like that, because you're working so close with people that are, you know, really directly connected to some trail off traumas from colonialism, traumas that are inflicted, whether it's from their upbringing, whether it's from police violence or all sorts of things, right? And so it's really hard to be so close to those front lines. And yeah, I do, I do agree that people sometimes underestimate how much effort is put into that work and how much it truly does impact our community. Yeah, we definitely see a lot of the negative, not any positive, not that I'm saying there are negative effects of colonialism with the clients that we see and the intergenerational and multi-generational trauma. And it just, uh, it really hits home the tragedies that have happened here and the folks that just, you know, had been growing up and hadn't had the story of what actually happened in Canada and therefore don't really understand the position that, that people find themselves in. And uh, that's another area of education that we're really passionate about. That's incredible. That's, that's really exciting to hear that there's people doing this kind of work. You mentioned in that a couple of the challenges that, that come with this and, you know, just the, being so close to it. What are, what are some of the biggest challenges just as an organization, um, you know, speaking, I guess, more to just trying to build an organization through these times? What have been some of the biggest challenges behind the scenes when trying to, to build this? Yes. The biggest challenge for sure is the funding aspect. Like we need about $550,000 to open for our first year. And that's a good chunk of change. And when, when nonprofits and charities are applying for grants and things like that to have funding to run, they usually apply with governments or private foundations like the Winnipeg Foundation, things like that. And all of those grants and funding opportunities require for the organization to have registered charitable status with the Canadian Revenue Agency. And so that's been kind of a big hurdle for us because
because it's a very big complicated application and it's it's taken us a long time we've ended up having to hire a lawyer so we had to raise funds to pay for the lawyer and uh, that should be going through like our application should be going through shortly so we're very excited about that and then that way we'll be able to actually start fundraising uh, capital fundraising soon so we can do things like buy a house and you know get staff on board and things like that and kind of finally get things up and running so makes sense yeah absolutely and we're definitely on the same page and just trying to do as much as we can to help spread that message help get that out so that we can make this make this a fruition get this to to come through in our city yeah thanks so much i appreciate it do you have a five-year plan ten-year plan Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to dive into that a little? Well, I'll share a little bit. I don't want to give away all my secrets. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So right now, this model, um, I'll kind of explain it from the beginning a little bit. So it'll make more sense when I talk about the five-year plan. So in addictions recovery, typically here in Winnipeg, what we'll see is um, folks that are coming in from the community will oftentimes go into a detox facility such as Main Street Project. And they'll stay there and they'll medically detox supervised by medical professionals for a couple of weeks. And then they'll go into something called primary care. And primary care If you think of, you know, AFM and their 28-day or 30-day program, that's what that is. So it's kind of like a first step in addictions care. There's also other addictions treatment centers around Winnipeg that offer primary treatment care as well, and they go on various timelines. But what I've found, and a lot of the other people in my field have found, is that people keep coming back time and time again into uh, treatment because they just don't have enough time to make substantial and sustainable lifestyle changes so that they can be successful in whatever it is that they want to do afterward. And so that's kind of the whole idea behind Regenesis Center is to offer secondary care. And that's a new step, at least for addictions care here in Manitoba. So what we're going to be doing is taking people that have completed their detox and have completed their primary care, and we're going to extend their care for an extra six to 12 months, depending on their needs and things like that. And so this model, although it's not new, it is a variation on a model that's already in place in other places around the world and the country. And uh, right now, I wanted to focus on a specific subset of group. Specifically, what we're going to be looking at are people who identify as women, so women and uh, non-binary folks. And then We also want to make sure that we're prioritizing access for people that belong to the 2SLGBTQ plus and BIPOC communities, so they'll be given priority access to our services. So really, right now, what we want to do is run this model for a couple of years, collect data, make sure that we're actually helping people and we have, you know, the stats and resources to prove that we're doing good and making positive changes. And then I want to introduce a couple of other programs along the same line using the same model but with different groups that are also highly in need such as youth groups or families. Wow that's amazing to hear and I'm, I'm glad that there's people like you in our community who are making the main effort to go out and do these things and solve these problems that they're witnessing. Absolutely yeah so we're, we're right in the middle of uh, overdose awareness month right now and you know with the pandemic with things that have gone on um, Winnipeg's had a spike of at least 87% in overdoses 
uh, since last year. And I think that it's just really important to talk about these things. And I think that if when people listen to this, it'll be really important for them to hear your perspective, hear what you have to say. And so in your own words, and in kind of however you want to talk about it, what what is addiction to you? And why is it so important to be a support for somebody? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, addiction is a response to trauma that can trauma can come in various forms and be caused by various things but basically to me um, a lot of the times I see the trauma coming from some sort of form of oppression and whether that be racial oppression or sexuality or gender or what have you. And folks that have experienced significant trauma, if they haven't had the resources available to them to learn coping skills to process this trauma and deal with their feelings, they will often turn to substances to numb their pain, among other things. And it's cheap. I mean, you can go out and you can get you can get a substance that's very effective and lasts a very long time and doesn't cost very much. And it's not the same way to get mental health therapy here. Like, I mean, it's expensive. It takes a long time. So basically, people are using it to self-medicate in most of the cases that I see. And for me, what we want to do is not just make a band-aid approach to addictions treatment we want to get to the root of things and that's kind of what i touched on before with the education aspect we're going for in terms of talking about colonialism and all of the effects that that has and how it ties into addiction for any of our listeners what would be the like easiest most direct way that someone would be able to support regenesis possibly donate some funds Yeah, so we have a GoFundMe page. Uh, So if you go to either our Instagram or Facebook, and I even think on our Twitter, there are links to our GoFundMe page. Uh, We also have a website, which is regenesisrecovery.com. And you can click on the link at the top of the screen, and that will also take you to our GoFundMe page. We also accept e-transfers as well. And in the future, uh, once we have our house and get up and running, we'll actually be asking for a lot of in-kind donations in terms of artwork and uh, furniture and things like that. So even if people aren't able to uh, to donate financially, you can always donate your time or you can donate household goods that you're no longer using. Sweet, definitely, yeah. And aside from that, before opening, is there any anything else in particular um, you might want to plug or promote on here? Well, we don't have any fundraisers going on at the moment, but we are starting to work on ideas. So just stay tuned to our social media accounts and see what's going on. And I'm sure come this fall, we're going to have something pretty fun, fun coming up to participate in. And you're on all socials. You're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on uh, Instagram. That's right. Awesome. Perfect. We'll make sure to give you a follow on those other two. We have you on Instagram. And yeah, just uh, anyone who's listening, please spread their message, spread their posts, uh, share them, give them a message if you need to. I'm sure that they're very open to, to talking. And yeah, just please, please support this. Our city needs it. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and talk to us. Before we wrap everything up here, one thing we do on our show is let our guests pick the song that will follow when this airs on 101.5 UMFM. Sometimes there's a lot of pressure and people feel put on the spot, (laughs) but if you do have a song in mind, 
you could pick it. Yeah. Um, oh, how about uh, Hypnotic by Super Duty Tough Work? Let's go. Yes, amazing. <laughs> awesome. Love that, Love that group. <laughs> yeah, we do too. <laughs> All right, also, well, for anyone listening, Super Duty Tough Work is an amazing local band here in Winnipeg. They really stand for the people. So check them out as well. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and uh, share about a little bit about yourself and your baby Regenesis. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, very excited to see what comes in the future for y'all. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're rooting for you 100%. We're Aww, so excited. Thanks. All good. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Take care.